Amen. Good morning, Conduit. How are you? It's good to see you. Uh, I think I have, I have used up my bank of extra sermon time. Um, last week I went long, but I used up the 10 minutes that I went short the week before. So this week I'm on a clean slate, which means we got to get moving in Joseph. So we have been, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we've been doing, uh, starting a series um, in the book of Genesis on the life of Joseph. And of course, it's not, it's not really possible to hit every, every detail of a person's life in a you know, six or eight week series, but we're going to try and hit some of the, uh, some of the high points. So um, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis is that very first chapter in your Bible. Um, there should be a Bible in the seat somewhere around you, um, or you can get it on the, uh, our, the app, Conduit Ministries app has a Bible on it, or on your phone, but just... Get there in whatever way that you can. Now, if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to the first two messages, I was I would I would encourage you I would encourage you to, um, uh, as we they, they each other since Joseph's story. We're working through Joseph's story somewhat chronologically. Now, I'm gonna I, I do want to touch on one on one point from last week because it's applicable to the portion of Joseph's life that we're talking about this morning. Um, and it plays back into what we talked about uh, last week. So this is a, the, a point from last week, but also a point from this week as well. Uh, and, and that's this, is that being, being enslaved, being imprisoned, being, being trapped in some way, shape, or form does not mean that God is not with you and does not mean that God cannot use you, right? This was probably the main point from last week. It should be up on screen for you here in just a second. Um, but, that, but, but the gist of it is, the gist of it is this, is that if you're going through something, <laughs> if you're going through something difficult, right? And for Joseph, it was... Likely the most difficult situation of his entire life. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, right? He was sent down to Egypt, and there would be this, there would be this tendency to say that, um, like this, it can get no worse than this. I am in the worst possible place that I could be. Therefore, God must not be with me. He has abandoned me. Obviously, I mean, look at the circumstances surrounding me. There is no way that given what's going on, that God could be with me. Well, we see from the story of Joseph that the opposite is actually true. That, it, that, that Joseph's circumstances were not evidence of God's absence. And in the midst of the difficulty of our own circumstances, whatever you are trapped by, imprisoned by, enslaved by, does not mean that God has, has said that he wants nothing to do with us. But quite the opposite. It's that 
in the, in the midst of our imprisonment, in the midst of our slavery, God, God enters into slavery with us and immediately goes to work to redeem, to rescue, and to save. That God is in the business of restoring, rescuing, redeeming. And just like this big wall behind me that's made out of, um, made out of reused, restored, recycled pallets, that, that God, God restores. God repurposes. God, God takes things that one person or one group of people or that the enemy purposed for our harm and for our disaster and he repurposes them for his glory, uh, for the building of his kingdom, and that is the story of Joseph's life. Repurposing what others, even Joseph himself sometimes, meant to destroy, God repurposes for his good. And the same is true in the story this week. We left off last week when, when Joseph, who was a slave in this guy Potiphar's home, Right was consistently propositioned Potiphar's wife to come to bed with him, right? And in the midst of that sexual temptation, she grabbed onto his cloak and he ran out of the house, right? And um, at the end of chapter 39 is where we pick up with the story here. I'm going to read the end of 39, but then we're going to go into chapter 40 and beyond. Chapter 39, when, verse 19, when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. Potiphar burned with anger, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, and so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And so even at this point in the story, right, the Lord's presence was not departing from Joseph's life simply because he was experiencing something that each and every one of us would consider like the height of bad circumstances in our lives. Falsely accused, lose my job, lose my livelihood, lose my reputation, get thrown into prison, go from the highest of highs now to the lowest. God obviously has abandoned me. And what the scripture tells us is that the opposite is true, that even in the midst of Joseph's horrible circumstances, that God's goodness was shining on him. And what I am, uh, part of what I'm inspired by in Joseph's life here, and of course, like I said, is we don't, we don't get the whole story and we don't get to see the whole thing and so we don't even get all the individual conversations or even the self-talk that Joseph must have had during that period of time. But what we don't see and what I don't kind of like 
discern or feel from these passages is the, is the fact that, that Joseph was walking around with kind of this woe is me, ultimate victim, um, down in the doldrums of his life and faith type of attitude. Right? Like how easy and how understandable would it be for Joseph to be like, look, I did nothing wrong. I've never done anything wrong. I've always been on the short end of the stick. I'm always getting falsely accused. I'm always getting sold into slavery. I'm always going into prison. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always, I'm always playing the role of the professional and consummate victim of life. How could this happen? How how could God possibly do this to me? We don't get the sense, though, that this is Joseph's attitude, either about his circumstances or about life in general, because it, it, it's kind of inferred in the passage that, look, for all of Joseph's faults, as big of a brat as Joseph was to his brothers and to his mom and his dad at the beginning of the story, it seems that Joseph was a pretty hard worker. Because whatever he set his hands to do, he experienced success. Whatever he went off to organize, whatever, however he managed Potiphar's house, however later he managed Pharaoh's household in all of Egypt, as we're going to see, he experienced Success, that he picked himself up by his bootstraps, refused to believe that he was simply a victim of God being angry with him and said, there has to be, a, there, there has to be some repurposing of what's going on in my life. There has to be something deeper going on. There has to be something more significant that God is trying to do in me and through me in this moment if I keep getting myself in this situation, but his goodness still remains upon me. And so, if anything, like in my own circumstances, I'm hearing and seeing from Joseph's life being like, look, man, stop, being so so stop feeling so sorry for yourself. Like, yeah, yes, life is difficult. Yes, circumstances are unfair. Yes, you will be falsely accused. Yes, you will be put in places, in circumstances, in situations that you did not ask for, that you do not want to be in, that are of, like, ultimate, like, unfortunate consequences. Right? And you can sit in the corner, and you can cry about how God has done you wrong, Right? Or you can gain a different perspective about how God is working in and through this situation to change, to transform, to sanctify something about you and the people around you in that moment. So, listen, that's not that we have to like our circumstances. Not that we have to be, like, excited about them. Like, boy, do I like sitting in prison, right? Boy, do I like this. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not, about, it's not about liking them. It's about, it's about finding, you remember what our, our takeaway prayer was for last week? Lord, let me see you moving and working and being present even in the midst of my difficult circumstances. Lord, show me where you are in my life even when it's really hard, right? 
And it's about grabbing onto a perspective that says, I, I refuse to see my circumstances through the lens of my own victimhood. I'm choosing instead to see my circumstances through, hey God, where, where are you? What are you doing? What, what, what are you seeking to, to work in me? What, how, Lord, is my suffering being used as a tool to bless others? Now, here is what happens in the next parts of the story for, for Joseph, okay? Now, for brevity's sake, I'm going to paraphrase the story. But listen, <laughs> I'm going to tell you this today, and I'm going to tell you this as many times as I can remember to tell you this all the time, right? Me telling you the story is not a substitute for you to fact-check me. Not a substitute for, me, uh, for you fact-checking me, all right? Never, right, are you to just take my word for it. And as much as I can say, you can trust me, this is what I'm telling you, the Bible says this, thus saith the Lord, right? Uh, the Bible also encourages us the, that, that God has given you the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of truth. And when we, we, when we receive the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ, like the part of the Spirit's work in us is to reveal the truth of God's word to us, right? So as I say, well, the Bible says X, Y, and Z. I will always do my best to give you like reference page number example, say, say, says right here type of things, right? But I'm going to paraphrase the next chapter or two of Joseph's story, right? Chapter 40, chapter 41. And what your job is this week is to go back and read Genesis chapter 40, Genesis chapter 41, so that you can have the confidence of the Holy Spirit revealing it to you outside of me. You don't, you don't, need, you don't need me in order to receive from the Lord the truth of his word. He offers it freely to you in his Holy Spirit. Okay? But now I'm going to tell you the story. Okay? So, after Joseph is thrown in jail for the false accusation um, at Potiphar's wife, right? He, the Lord says in, in, uh, at the end of chapter 39, like we just read, the Lord blesses him, gives him a ton of success, even in prison, so much so that when he is imprisoned, he is made like the, the warden of the prison as an inmate. That the, that the guy in charge of the prison doesn't worry about anything within the prison because now that Joseph's there, he's just going to take care of, he's just going to take care of it all, right? And Joseph meets these two guys in prison while he's there. And we know them in chapter 40 of Genesis as the cupbearer and the baker, right? Now, these two guys served Pharaoh, who is the supreme leader of Egypt, right? The man, the king, the dude, right? And for whatever reason, they, have fought, they had fallen out of favor with Pharaoh, and he threw them in jail, his cupbearer and his baker. And they, they're, they've, they're interacting now with Joseph. Well, one day, the cupbearer and the baker, they come to Joseph, and they're like, you know, we, we both of us had these dreams, and uh, man, 
we, uh, we, know, we, we don't know what the dreams are all about, and we don't know what they mean, and we don't know if God is trying to tell us something, and there's, there's no one that can tell us what they mean. And Joseph's like, well, I can tell you what they mean. Tell, tell me the dreams that you had, and I will tell you, um, I will tell you what God wants you to know about these dreams. What, what, you, you tell me. And so um, the cupbearer tells him his dream. I was dreaming that there was this, you know, this vine with um, grapes and, uh, and it was squeezed the grapes and it came in the cup and I handed it to Pharaoh. And then the, the baker was like, I, I dreamed that there was a basket of loaves on my head and the crows were coming and, and plucking out the, the, the bread loaves. And I, what, what do these dreams mean? And, and Joseph's like, well, um, I'll tell you, pretty easy. One is good and one is bad, all right? Um, cup bearer, good news for you. Um, Pharaoh is going to restore you to your position as cupbearer for him. Oh, great, he says. Thank you, Joseph. Baker, bad news for you. Pharaoh's going to cut off your head. Sorry about your luck. Uh, <laughs> well, sorry I asked what the dream meant, apparently. right? Um, and so what happens then is like, both of these things are going to come true within the next three days. You're going to be restored. You're going to be killed. And of course, what the scripture says is that Pharaoh has a big birthday celebration. And he pardons a bunch of people and executes a bunch of people. And lo and behold, the cupbearer is pardoned and goes back into Pharaoh's service. And um, the baker is executed during Pharaoh's birthday celebration. Um, and the dreams are proven true. And, and, and like out, out on his way out the door, Joseph is like, Hey, cupbearer, remember me when you get back with Pharaoh, please. The end. Right? And so that's how chapter 40, that's how chapter 40 of Genesis goes. Two dreams. Joseph interprets them. They're interpreted as true. Remember, Joseph has a history of interpreting dreams. If you were here for the first week of uh, the Joseph series, he interpreted his own dreams correctly. Um, but we're going to stop here for a second because um, I think <laughs> there are some parts to this that are important. Remember we said at the beginning of today, and we said at the end of last week that, that um, um, just because you are trapped, enslaved, imprisoned, in the middle of all the gunk and mire of your life does not mean that God can't or won't use you, right? That even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, one of the most difficult circumstances of Joseph's life, in the muck and the mire, being falsely accused, thrown back in prison, Joseph has an opportunity to use the things that God has given to him, gifted to him, taught him to serve other, God, serve other people, even in, even in that, that place. Even in that place, right? But there are, I think, some important things to notice about that place that speaks to us as individuals and us as a church. So that's where I want to go here for a second and look at this is super important. Um, 
There, there are three things that we must be willing to do. Be or be present in. Okay? I kind of struggled with how to communicate this, but we're going to go with it this way and just hopefully you can understand. Um, we have to be comfortable to be in the menial places. Doing the menial things for the menial people. Now, if you don't know what the word menial means, I guess I don't really know what it means either. Um, but uh, menial, I guess we could say, means like less than average. Low. The menial tasks of cleaning the toilet, right? Um, the, the menial tasks of serving someone else. The, the menial are, are we willing to be in the menial places, to take the menial positions? Are we, are we willing to do the menial tasks? Are, are we willing to both be and do the menial things? It's easy to do and be the menial person and do the menial tasks for people that you believe you're below, right? Like, oh, he's so important, I'm, I'm happy to serve him. But what about when there's a person that you think is below you? What about a person that you see as menial? As maybe, eh, maybe a, a little bit lower station in life, maturity, like, yeah, they live in, kind of live in that part of town. Or, yeah, they don't, not really a very hard work ethic. I don't think they have a job. Ah, history with, a, you know, they got a history with addiction and like, um, you know, ah, they don't parent their kids. Like, like I, don't, I don't want my kids around them because, you know, I'm just worried about that influence. Like the people that we feel are below us. Like, are we, are, are we willing are we willing to be in the menial positions? Are we willing to do the menial things for the menial people? We used to have a, a phrase at uh, Conduit North back in the day, right? Um, that well, We used to say that nothing is not my job. Doesn't matter who I am. Doesn't matter what position, what, what place of authority, what power I've been given. It doesn't matter how much I get paid or how much I don't get paid. Um, if there is a thing to do, if there is a person to serve, is there, if there is a place to be, then it doesn't matter who I am, then I'm the person to do it. Nothing is not my job. There is nothing that I am, there is nothing that I am above. You see, we have this... We have this tendency in life, and this is birthed out of, I think, a somewhat healthy work ethic, right, of racing to the top of the ladder in everything, right? We've got we to race to the top. We gotta, we're going to climb the ladder. We're going to work hard, right? We're going we're gonna to get the position. We're going to get the notoriety. We're going to get the power. We're going to get the pay, right? We're gonna we're gonna get the reputation. We're 
we're going to work hard for it, and, and sometimes, you know, i got to look out for number one, right? And no one else is going to look out for you, and so sometimes you got to kind of like, when you're climbing up the ladder, if someone's not going fast enough, you might have to step on their head in order to get a little higher, right? And it's kind of been birthed in this kind of, uh, you know, like 21st century modern America, hustle, 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 get ahead of the next person, do whatever it takes so that you can be seen as successful, right? Well, listen, church, I'm here to tell you, and you probably don't need me to tell you that that's not a gospel narrative at all. That, that what the gospel does is take everything that we think is normal about working hard and getting ahead and earning success and being number one and flips it upside down on its head. And, and really, the question that the gospel asks is that while the rest of the world is racing to the front of the line, what if we who followed Jesus raced to the back of the line? And we walked with, we were present with, we listened to the ones who thought that they had long ago been forgotten by everyone else around them. What if, what if instead of racing to the front, we raced to the back. That, then in everything that we did with every with every like with every like next step on the ladder that our 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 hope was to reach the back of the line, you know, the people way back there that can't hardly hear your voice. I think yeah, I've kind of been forgotten back here in line. And no one, no one is listening. No one hears the voice. No one, no one spends time with us. No one, no one values us. No one, no, one, no one ever even really cares to, to hear my, my story. What if we raced to the back of the line instead of the front? You see, you can be, you can be chasing, um, you can be chasing the lead position at work, right? The the to be the the top dog. You can you can be chasing um, a, a title that you want, right? Or or a position you want. You can you can be chasing uh, like a certain amount of recognition for the things that you're doing or the things that you did that, that you thought would take you to, the, if someone just saw the, what you were doing, it would just take you to um, the, the, the next level of, of power and, and importance and, and prominence. But listen, these chasing after these things are all, it, it, is, it is nothing but like a temporary, it is a temporary measure Title, authority, prominence, power, prestige, reputation are they're, they're temporary measures given by temporary people for temporary gain. You'll, you'll be lucky if in a year it matters like it matters now. Certainly will not matter 
into eternity. And what, and what, Jesus, what, what Jesus says here in this awesome passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 14, and he speaks, um, he speaks more significantly on um, this, this, whole, this whole thing, but in Luke chapter 14, um, when Jesus is eating at the, the house, This is a great word. Listen, this is a great word for us, even in the midst of what we intend and seek to do with Thanksgiving, right? I mean, listen, full disclosure, I've never been a part of a family. I've never been uh, like a part of a circle of people, of like my my network of people where I ever felt Ever, like, I probably won't have Thanksgiving this year because we just can't afford it. Never. And so it's like, it's, it's easy, it's easy for me to, like, poo-poo the idea of, of a family, like, actually not being able to afford to provide for themselves a Thanksgiving meal and so they either go without or they have to like put down some of their dignity in order to go someplace else where the meal is free or get something else like and listen um, I want to I want to hear those people I want to race to the back of the line to hear their story to hear them talk about their kids hear them talk about their neighborhood, their hopes for their own lives, right? Without this sense of like, you are menial. When Jesus was talking with the Pharisees, Luke chapter 14, verse 11, he says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? So, what if we put down the striving to climb over top of people on our race to the top of the ladder? And what if we ran instead, raced instead to the back of the line to be with those that the world has forgotten about? It's funny I didn't plan this, but if you follow there, if you're looking in your Bible and you look at Luke chapter 14, we just read verse 11 about those who humble themselves will be exalted, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, right? And then Jesus said this to host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back and so you paid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor. Invite the crippled, the lame, invite the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot. So look, our desire, our our desire to power, get the authority, get the prestige, get the pay, get the reputation get the prominence, is a temporary gift that you will receive by temporary people 
that gives you only temporary gain, right? But our example instead, right, is not a race to the top of temporary gain. It's a race to the back of the line for heavenly gain. A repayment that will be realized at the resurrection, Jesus says. Where, where nothing done in secret, nothing done in humility will be forgotten or lost. Well, no one's going to see me do it. You're wrong. The only one who matters sees you do it. The one who remembers forever sees you do it. See, our, we, we, this is not without biblical example. Right? This, this, is not, this is not without a strong example rooted in, like, who's our man in this place, right? In Jesus, right? This, this is an example rooted in the very nature and character of God himself. That, that Jesus, right, who, who the scriptures say was there at the foundations of the world who literally spoke the world into existence. That, that all authority on heaven and earth lies within the name and person of Jesus. That, that God the Father will make all things his footstool. That there is no one like him. That his name is above every other Name. There is no one in all existence, both then, now, or forever, that has more authority, more power, more title, more prominence than Jesus himself is due and worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the notoriety that can be given to him. And he could take it, and it would be okay, because he deserves it, Right? But instead of that, instead of racing to the throne, Jesus raced to the stable. Instead of racing to the royal family, Jesus raced to a young girl and her unwed husband in a discreet far-off place with no fanfare, no notoriety, no place to lay their head. Simple, humble, world-changing. And so, the very idea that we would race to the back of the line rather than the front of the line. It's not some new, insightful, trendy, hipster type of Christianity. It is rooted in the very center of all that is Christian, which is Jesus Christ. There, there, there is no front of the line Christianity. There is only humbling myself in the sight and service of others as Jesus himself did as an ultimate expression of God's love for me to you through us. 
Now, this is for you and me, of course. We must, we must like download this idea into our head so much so that it gets into our heart, right? But, but in, we are individuals, but listen, we are, we are a church as well. We are a, um, the, the word for church in, the, in the, the Greek, the scripture is ekklesia, which is a gathering, right? It is a, uh, more loosely defined as a community, having nothing to do with a specific place, but having everything to do with a specific person. And that person is the person whose banner we all fall underneath, which is Jesus Christ. Like we follow Jesus. That is what brings us together. And each individually in our faith in Jesus Christ are united together as one church, as one gathering, as one body because of him, not because we're all like each other. So this is, this is not just for you as an individual, but this is for us as a body to understand who we are as a church. Understanding who we are going to be as a church. What, what is going to be our, our distinctive identity as a group of people who are following Jesus Christ, both in word and in deed, both in faith and in example. Who are we going to be, conduit? It's kind of a rhetorical question, right? Because Jesus has already told us who his followers will be. It's, it's up to us to decide whether or not we're going to play the game that the world plays with church, right? Or we're going to just do the thing that Jesus wants us to do. Listen, as communally, as a church, and, and as, listen, as your pastor, I will tell you this. Communally, as a church, um... we can certainly aim or make as our goal, right? To attract, uh, to entice, to desire. I think you've probably heard this phrase before. Man, you know, we, we just have so many good families, so many good people. We just want good families to come to our church, you know? Kids, you know, husband, wife, two kids, dog, picket fence, white house, all the good stuff, you know? Good families. That's what we want here. We tell people about our church. Just so full of good families. Listen, I get it. Okay, I, I, I get what you mean, right? Um, but there is this tendency. There is this temptation. There is this... Um, there is this pull, this draw to say, you know, we really, what we really need, we like, we need people of, like, we want people of influence here. We want people of, of uh, position here. We want people of power here. We want people of, of prestige here. We want to, like, I love to fill this, 
Fill, fill this room, you know, two or three times on a Sunday with people that have resources and, and gifts and can, can really, like, movers and shakers in the community. It can really, can really get things done, you know. And I mean, the question, do we want those people here? Well, of course we want those people here, right? Why do we want those people here? Because of their power, their prestige, their influence, their position, their title, who they are in the community, who they aren't in the community? Absolutely not. We want those people here because we want every man, woman, and child here. We want those people here not for what they can do for us, but because of what the gospel calls out of us. Not for what they bring to us, but we want them for and because the gospel compels us to every man, woman, and child. And listen, church, listen, we, we must. And listen, as long as I am your pastor, I, will, I, I can promise you this, and it's not always going to be like great comfy conversations and easy things to hear and, um, and all agreeable directions about ministry and mission and all that, but we must, we must, we must reject the notion that Conduit is seeking to become a prominent, powerful, influential church in Jamestown. We are not. We are not seeking to become powerful, influential, prestigious, prominent church in Jamestown. We must embrace the notion that our chief aim is to make the name of Jesus great and that we, that the name of Conduit Ministries as a church will be known in heaven, not Jamestown. I don't care if we're known in Jamestown. I care if we're known in heaven. That, that, that you and I, that us, together as one body and the people that join us by faith in Jesus Christ would echo those words of Paul when he talks in Philippians chapter 3 about all of the things that he is willing to give up for the sake of the gospel. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 7, he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. Like, listen, whatever is to our profit in having a prominent name, in having a powerful position, in being a prestigious church, in being the church that everyone wants to go to and everyone wants to talk to because it's really cool and really hip, I don't give a rip about that. I don't care. Okay? Whatever was to our profit in the rep building of our reputation, we now consider loss for the sake simply of knowing Jesus Christ. What is more, we consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, for whose sake we have lost all things. We consider them garbage that we may gain Christ and be found in him.
There's this dude with, I don't know how he got this name, but I want it. Um, his name is uh, C.T. Stud. Excuse me, excuse me, Mr. Stud. Uh, yes. Uh, uh. Did I hear my name? C.T. Stud is his name. We have this quote up for you, so you can see it as I read it. I want to have C.T. Stud's name, but I also want to have his attitude as. Uh, as a church leader, and as, as a church. And that's it. Can we bring that quote up, please? C.T. Studd. Okay. Some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. We can be, we can find, we can find comfort of the, the sound of the chapel bell, right? The, the, the warmth of a church full of good people, right? Just, just filled with goodness and niceness everywhere. Like it's so, everyone is so sweet, it gives you a toothache when you come to church on Sunday, Right? And, and wouldn't that be great, right? And, and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that, that I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been in professional ministry for all of my adult life, right? And I will tell anyone who asks, Conduit's the best church I've ever been a part of, ever, period. Exclamation point, no biases at all, right? It's the best church. It, it just simply is. I'm, now, I'm, I'm sorry if you're a visitor and you go to an, uh, another church, but, like, sorry. Like, this is, like, just an awesome, 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 awesome place because people can come and belong and be loved, and it doesn't matter if you live within the sound of a chapel bell or a church bell or with, if you live within a yard of hell, like, welcome. We want to hear your story. We want to love on you. This is a place where... If you don't belong anywhere else, you belong. And, and my desire as a pastor and our desire as people who follow Jesus, right, is to, hey, let's set up shop like within a yard of hell. Let's, let's race to the back of that line. Let's, let's race to the back of the line and, and be with those people and hear those people and give value and dignity to those people and let those people experience the only thing that's good about us, which is Jesus. Give them the best parts of us. The, 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 the life of incarnated Jesus. This is my last point for... This morning, and it, it runs into um, the next part of the story for Joseph in Genesis chapter 41. Because you remember when, uh, say, so the cupbearer is, he's running out, 
back to go back to his place to serve Pharaoh. And Joseph's like, hey, remember me, me. And I'm sure Joseph is like, oh, any second now, any second now, any second now, they're going to come. He's going to come back and get me, right? Like, it, like, I did this great thing. I did this great thing. I served. I, I did the menial thing to the menial person in the menial place. And, like, like God's got me now. And, like, I'm going to race back to the top of, the, of the, the ladder of prominence and significance in Egypt now that I've done this great thing in this place where I'm at, right? Didn't happen. So time and time and time and time and time and time and time went on. Pharaoh ended up having this dream, this series of dreams, actually. And he asked all the wise men in the kingdom of Egypt, tell me what this dream means. Tell me what this dream means. Tell me what this dream means. And everyone's like, I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. And Pharaoh's losing his mind because no one can tell him what these dreams mean. And then the cupbearer standing next to him was like, oh, yeah. Now that I think of it, right, I had a dream once, and they, yeah, there's this guy named Joseph, I think his name was Joseph, man, it was a long time ago now, right, he's down in the prison, I think, he'll tell you what your dream means, and so Pharaoh brings him up, and what is, what happens? Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams, and Joseph's like, here's what's going to happen, this is what your dreams mean. And, and, and out of the wisdom and discernment that Joseph displays in that moment, Pharaoh's like, all right, you're my man. You are now in charge of everything in Egypt except the throne. Make sure that the seven years of famine that are coming down the line, that we don't, like, suffer grave loss for us. So Joseph went, you know, immediately into, like, CEO mind, right? Organized the agricultural affairs of an entire country for a period of 14 years, right? Used his gifts, used his hard work, waited on the opportunity in the midst of his menial imprisonment to be promoted to a different place, right? And seized the opportunity when it came. Now, what's important for us to understand here is this. Look, when you... An eight-year-old, right? I tell stories about Noah all the time got an eight-year-old. He's my oldest kid, right? Um, and if, if the kid, um, he would eat Skittles and Sierra Mist every meal um, all the time if I let him, right? And so if I gave Noah, um, when, when, when I want to give Noah like an allowance for doing chores around the house, so you can spend this money however you want it, do you give an immature child one dollar? Or do you give them $100? Or two, or whatever, right? No, right? No, you give them $1. Why? Because, because you see that the way they use the $1, it should frighten you to death the way that they would use the $100. Right? You, you don't give $100 to a person who spends his only dollar on Skittles and Sierra Mist. Right? You just, there's a, you know that they'll, you know that they'll blow it, use it frivolously, right? And then as they grow, and as they show more responsibility, and as they use wisdom to know, well, i got to save a little bit of money here, and I could use this to buy that for myself, and I 
this pair of shoes or whatever, then you gradually are able to increase the amount that you give to them because they have shown themselves trustworthy with the $1 and then the $2 and then the $3. And so someday, here's the $100. I feel good about giving it to you that you're not going to throw yourself into a diabetic coma, right? But what, is, what does chapter 41 say of the story of Joseph in jail? Right? That it was over two years that Joseph sat in jail before um, or in between when he, when he interpreted the gene for the cupbearer and the baker and when he is able to interpret the gene for Pharaoh. Listen, Joseph did the menial thing in the menial place for menial people for years before he moved up. Years. Some of us, right, are like, man, I've been in this job for three months. And I'm not running the place yet. I've been serving and serving and serving and serving for so long and no one ever recognizes me no one, no one, no one ever, no one even ever says thank you, and, and, and I have not been promoted, and, and, and man, I'm done with this. I quit. Listen. Sometimes, sometimes God is like, if I gave you more than a dollar, you'd spend it all on the Skittles and Sierra Mist of life. And the reason I haven't given you more is because you haven't proven yourself responsible with the little that I have. And when we faithfully serve in the menial place with menial people doing menial things, without this like bait and switch of the reason I'm doing this is so I get my reward, is so I'm noticed, is so I'm promoted, right? That's like, that's the Sierra Mist and Skittles of the situation. But when we race to the back of the menial line simply out of like being compelled by the gospel of love in Jesus Christ, Right? That's the moment where God is like, oh yeah, there's this guy Joseph who's been in prison for a long time. He knows how to interpret dreams. Listen. When you serve faithfully and humbly, the time for promotion is only ever right around the corner. And sometimes that corner is two years and sometimes it's five years. And sometimes it's two weeks. But your Time is coming. Keep doing the things that no one sees. Because God sees them and he has not forgotten. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray. Uh, I pray over these bags.
I pray, Lord, that um, I pray, Lord, that the families who receive, Lord, would not just receive a Thanksgiving meal. Lord, but that they would receive uh, an incarnation of your son, Jesus. That as they, um, as they interact with conduits here, that they would be overwhelmed by your gentleness, your kindness, your love for them. Lord, let us never tire or weary of doing the things that the world sees as menial, whether in menial places, menial tasks, or for menial people. Lord, give us vision to race to the back of the line. In Jesus' name, amen.